maybe if you think of a thing long enough and you believe in it, maybe it becomes real. Maybe all the things we were afraid of as kids, you know, all the monsters like Frankenstein, huh? Wolfman, mummy. Welcome to Now Playing's Night Shift Collection Series. It's going to turn your life around, Dick. I guarantee it. Continuing the Stephen King movie retrospective, your hosts Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be watching and reviewing Graveyard Shift. We're going to hell. To go! Cat's Eye. I, uh, I don't think you got the guts. I just don't think you got the guts. And the Night Shift Collection short films, The Woman in the Room, The Boogeyman, and Disciples of the Crow. I was responsible for the deaths of my children. You see, they were murdered. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Oh, Philly sticks. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, boss, did you turn the sound up? Today, we're discussing Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. <laughs> Stein, David Andrews, Kelly Wolf, Stephen Macht, and high icons Brad Dourif and Andrew Divoff. Directed by Ralph S. Singleton. This is Ani, co host of Now Playing, and we're going to hell together! <laughs> we certainly are on the Graveyard Shift, Stewart in LA. And this is your baby burning flashback fuck-up, Jacob. And, my God, I, if it wasn't for me being the Stephen King fan, am I the only one who expected to see Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton in this movie? <laughs> I don't know that many of our younger listeners even are familiar with Ron Howard's first morgue comedy, but yes, I do think that even now it is more famous than what we're here to talk about today. This is really, really obscure King. Although, ironically, this was the film that sort of kicked off King Mania in 1990 kicked off to me this was the film that kicked off king's descent into hell i mean <laughs> yes. i was a huge king fan in the 80s read every book as they came out even eyes of the dragon which to me was a stretch i mean i've never been a wizards and dragons kind of guy and so i was keeping up pet cemetery came out i was all over it i was watching everything i could get my hands on on video this comes out and i go i'll wait <laughs> no, 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 no. This was the rush job. Yes, Paramount Pictures in 1989 had a surprise box office success with Pet Cemetery the movie. And they instantly went, get me King. I don't care what it is. Get it to me stat. And this was the first one out of the gate. There were a lot of King adaptations coming out in the fall of 1990. Misery and It would be out in just a month, but this one beat them to it. This was the kickoff of the rush to adapt anything and everything Stephen King. And I did see this back in high school. I dragged a friend along. I said, this will be great. It's Stephen King. I can't wait to do it. And I, I didn't have much memories of my theatrical viewing, but watching it again, it all came rolling back to me this time around. I definitely have strong, visceral memories of this movie back when it was in theaters very briefly in October 1990. And I did see it before this viewing once on VHS. I mean, I'm a fan. I could stay away from theaters and not go, but I couldn't pass it up at the video store, so I rented it. And I have memories, too, of sitting in my parents' basement. I was in high school watching this movie, and wow, I just, I didn't have visceral memories. I just relived the experience for a brief, brief time. I was 15 again. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. For me, this is my first time. I had never even heard of this. I, I really did think it was the Ron Howard one. I remember liking that one when I was younger. I'd rather go back to do that now that I've seen this. Isn't it confusing, though? I mean, this is the short story collection is called Night Shift. This movie's called Graveyard Shift. Didn't you think that this was going to be the best story in that collection if the whole collection is sort of 
referencing and named after that. I always thought that that hand with the bandages and the eyeballs that was on all of the paperback editions of Night Shift that I saw in the 80s, that all of that would come from this story. I don't think I ever read Graveyard Shift until just recently for this new viewing of the movie, but I was surprised to find out that this is naturally one of King's earliest stories, and I would argue one of the worst in the collection. I don't know that I'd agree with one of the worst in the collection. It is what it is. It's kind of of that time. I mean, even Jerusalem's Lot, even though it had never been published before, was written around the same time. I'd actually say Graveyard Shift is very similar and slightly better than Jerusalem's Lot. You can hear my books and nachos to discuss. But yes, I did when I was growing up and I saw that hand on the paperback, which of course was something done in the 80s for the paperback. When this was first released, they didn't have that art or anything, but I thought that was something in the book. And yeah, I would have thought Graveyard Shift would be the centerpiece, and really, it's just one of 20 stories, nowhere near the longest, and it doesn't have a lot of stick-with-you kind of to it. It's a really basic short story, and you may wonder, how could they take that story and lengthen it to 90 minutes? Well, we'll tell you, but it's mostly by having people stand around and yell at each other. <laughs> yeah, this definitely is one of those. It's what I remembered about so many Stephen King adaptations, is that they take something that's relatively compact, and they just stretch it way beyond. It defies physics how much they stretch this story beyond the breaking point. That The fact that the film didn't slit in half in the projector and they were able to roll it on through is amazing because this thing is taut. It is so stretched out. It's unbelievable. Arnie, why don't you give them the plot in the uh, summary and we can really dive in. Shall I do it all emulating my mother's main accent or will my normal <laughs> voice do? No, because no one will be able to understand what you're saying. <laughs> Conditions are pretty shitty at the Bachman Textile Mill, and listeners who've heard my review of Rage will completely understand the significance of that name. It's hard to decide the worst part of the job. Is it that there's no air conditioning, so in the summer or even in the dead of night, temperatures are well over 100 degrees inside? Is it that the more attractive female employees, notice I say more attractive as compared <laughs> to actually attractive, are forced to sleep with dickish foreman Warwick? Or is it that the rats greatly outnumber the human employees gathering to watch the night shift spin the cotton into thread? Well, actually the worst thing about the mill is probably the giant rat bat creature that lives in the sub-sub basement <laughs> and feeds on the workers it catches alone. What is that thing? I, I don't know that I can even explain it now. <laughs> A giant albino rat bat. I'm good with that description. <laughs> we will discuss further. Unaware of the giant beast, Warwick has hired Vietnam vet come exterminator Cleveland, played by Chucky Brad Dourif, to kill all the rats. But when his best efforts result in a lawsuit, as Cleveland was pumping all the rat corpses into the river, Warwick hires his most money-hungry employees to work over the 4th of July weekend, cleaning the basement of discarded furniture, 100-year-old financial records, and rats. In this crew is new employee John Hall, played by David Andrews, his love interest Jane Kelly Wolf, nerdy coward Ipston, and two textile mill bullies, because when you work at the textile mill, that gives you the upper hand in all arguments. Hey, have you seen this town? I think that's the best job there is. <laughs> Danson and Borgen. Danson played by the Wishmaster, Andrew Divoff. Oh, I was wondering how he you got bumped him up to horror icon. He's Wishmaster? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish that we never cover that series. Granted! <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> I'm owed that after this movie. <laughs> Leprechaun still sits out there, Wishmaster, well... In the basement, tensions rise, Ipston quits, and Hall finds a mysterious cellar door leading to the sub-sub-basement. The entire group goes down, and when Borgen tries to flee back up at the sight of all the rats, the stairs collapse, leaving the group trapped. And food for the rat-bat-beast! Can we just call it a brat? <laughs> <laughs> one by one, they're all killed by the brat, with Hall and Warwick fighting each other as well. Only Hall survives the climb back up to the mill, where he succeeds in killing the beast, 
by shooting a Diet Pepsi can, TM, <laughs> with his slingshot, activating the giant loom which pulls the creature in by its giant tail as credits roll. You have to wonder what Michael Jackson feels about that, because he was the former pitchman for Pepsi, <laughs> and the next thing that they get to promote their product is a giant rat albino creature. I hey, they're both a sickly white color by this point, so I'll go with it. It's not that far off. <laughs> they probably did have the same hairdresser, I'll grant you. And they're equally plastic. Yeah, so this film, it has a bit of a storied history. I mean, this director... Have either of you ever seen his other work? You mean some Cagney and Lacey episodes? No. (laughs) Missed it. (laughs) Missed all of those, unfortunately. Pretty good 80s detective show, but okay. (laughs) This is his only feature film that he directed after Tom Savini backed out. Oh, he was too busy making that bad Night on the Living Dead movie. And the rights of this have an interesting story, too, because like you said, after Pet Cemetery, they really wanted to push another King film into production. Well, unfortunately for them, John Esposito owned the rights. He's the writer of this, and he bought the rights for $25, not quite a dollar, baby, <laughs> because he was hanging out with King on the set of Maximum Overdrive, and King's like, yeah, I kind of like you. Here's the rights. <laughs> But he didn't get the film made in time. He wrote the script, the script we see, and King actually was a little bit involved, kind of liked the script, was encouraging John on. So when the rights reverted, he then sold the rights for about $2,500 to another friend, William J. Dunn. I'd never heard of him. Most people probably haven't. He was the president of the Maine Film Commission who bought the rights so cheap, promising King this whole film would be made in Maine and pump $3 million into the Bangor economy. Three million? There's no way three million was spent on this film. Yeah, come on. Although that does explain the cool textile set. This is a found location. It was not created for this film. They actually went and found textile mills. Because that was the one thing I could say about this. What? Wait, 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 wait. This is in Maine? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I thought the whole time we're in Louisiana or something with these way some of these people talk. And I don't know. I don't think of (laughs) hot, humid basements being in Maine. Yeah, well, I do think they shipped in the dry ice to create that bayou effect. And yeah, there's a whole (laughs) graveyard that's clearly... Are there bayous in Maine? (laughs) (laughs) Warwick's accent, I don't know where it comes from. If I hadn't seen a Maine license plate, I would not have guessed that that was supposed to be a New England way of talking. But yeah, it's it's Maine. And especially coming after Pet Cemetery, where Herman Munster did such a great accent. Here, yeah, you're in Maine. Nobody has an accent except Warwick. And that accent, yeah, it could be just about anything. I almost thought it was British. I guessed Cajun, but who knows? Who am I to challenge Stephen Mock, star of Cagney and Lacey? <laughs> Is that where he got the job from? Pretty much. So it's everybody, friends helping friends. It truly is who you know in a main production. And this is why you don't go to Cagney and Lacey to make a horror film. But Singleton had produced Pet Cemetery and several other successful films, so he was kind of the go-to guy. I can almost see where somebody would think this is their big ticket to leave the world of TV production and make it big in film. Yeah, it's a cool poster. I'll give you that. Whoever designed that poster with the skeleton and the miner's hat wasn't in the movie, but I did like that. Yeah, that (laughs) would encourage me to believe it was a good movie. It's what got me to buy a ticket. But no, there's not much once you look at the script and what's going on here. This cast, all of them feel like amateur hour, and I don't feel like many of them worked before or or since. Is it weird, then, that I felt like there was some hope going into this film with with this first sequence? (laughs) Yes, right away, yes. I I don't know. Okay, so we open up, there's this guy, he's throwing cotton into this mill, and he's surrounded by rats, and, you know, they're, they're like, licking the bloody cotton swabs, and it's trashy, but I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here, and then something mysteriously shows up, and you see a splatter of blood. I felt some hope, at least. I'm, I'm like, this isn't gonna be high art, but this could be some trashy fun with, like, just these hordes of rats. I gotta say, if they did spend a full three million on this, it must have been on, like, the animal trainer to get these things to all line up. I got confused with the movie we're gonna be reviewing next week, The Mangler, because I see all this textile stuff 
this does not look like a safe working environment. I think for sure somebody's going in one of those machines. I can't remember what I saw before. Yeah, I agree. When I saw this originally, I couldn't remember the graveyard shift story from Night Shift. I think I did get it confused with Mangler. I thought for sure the monster was going to be this cotton picker that he's, you know, haphazardly throwing it into. And we know that he's going to get chomped into there. The question is, what's the thing that's going to put him there? Is this machine going to come to life? Are the little rats going to gang up and push him in there? Or yes, is there some other creature that's stalking about here? here. It's a mystery that even now, I'm not entirely sure I can answer, but I remember it being a big question mark. It's what creates any mystery this movie has for the first half, is you're trying to work and figure out what is attacking these people in this mill. Oh, there's a lot more things that <laughs> that create mystery, or at least questions for me. You know, <laughs> maybe not in the best way, but then we get this again. I... I'm holding out hope. Again, not high art, but trashy fun. This graveyard sequence for the opening credits. But then you get this like weird cut with Brad Dorf, the exterminator. I don't know if he's pumping water in, pumping gas into something, pumping stuff out of a building. I don't even know where it is in relationship to that graveyard <laughs> that we just saw. Like it just jumps all of a sudden. I have no idea what's going on. He's talking to the rats. I figure this is a film about rats that are going to take over a town. Maybe it's very confusing. I thought for sure he was brought in to exterminate the rats and that there were so many that he was like using a wet dry vac to just vacuum them up all right i got a personal story my apartment <laughs> once got just completely infested with flies i was a single guy it happens uh, i've been a single guy too and that's never happened but okay <laughs> yeah. please go on my entire ceiling was almost blackened with flies oh. and so i just grabbed the hose vac and i vacuumed the fuckers up <laughs> It works. You should have gone in business. You could be as successful as Brad Dourif. So that's what I thought he was doing, is he was to rats what I was to flies. <laughs> and he was just vacuuming them, and you got to dump them somewhere. I have a theory. I'm going to guess that they shot this movie, cut it together, realized it wasn't long enough, and then said, what can we do to expand it? And someone said, well, Brad Dourif has got a week free before he shoots Chucky 2. And that's what we get here. I feel like none of the scenes with this crazy exterminator have any connection with the rest of the story. And in fact, if there weren't a scene with him talking to Warwick, and if there weren't a scene with him talking to, I guess, our hero character, John Hall, it would be its own movie. It would be its own short inside an anthology horror movie. It has... Nothing to do. They set up this graveyard, and I keep thinking that the monster has some connection to the graveyard, or that the reason why it's all going to lead to this graveyard, like Pet Cemetery, right? Where everything went back to an Indian burial ground that brought animals back to life. That must be the cause if it's called Graveyard Shift, and they're showing us in the beginning credits a graveyard. Brad Dourif is going to find something when he's snooping around the mausoleums. Nope, they're just filling time. That did bug me, because nothing he does impacts the plot. He does not turn into the Pied Piper who leads the rats away, and he does not discover anything, uncover anything, give the brat away to unleash fury upon the town. He truthfully accomplishes absolutely nothing. So I could agree with you if they didn't stumble upon his corpse. That is the big scene he has with many other people as they find his body. Is that, was that him? I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's... There's it, so many bodies we see just die and... How did it get into the casket? He gets a chump's death. In the middle of this movie, he's snooping around while everyone else is actually exterminating and cleaning up the rats. He's in the graveyard and gets crushed by a casket. Later, there's a casket floating around that dumps a body. That's him? Yeah, I thought that was the exterminator outfit and his head was crushed because his head was crushed by the sliding casket. So yeah, that's what I took it as. Yeah, what's really confusing, Stuart, is that he's sent to do something. He's blackmailed, saying he's going to be sued for letting all these rats out upon the city. So he has to do something. And then cut, he's snooping around the graveyard. Why? What is he looking for? What is he doing for Warwick? I What, what, what favor is he fulfilling to so he doesn't get sued? They say that they think the rats are coming from the graveyard. So instead of just getting the rats out of the building now, he's going to go kill the rats at the source by taking his rat terrier dog with him. <laughs> 
<laughs> that poor dog. It survives the casket crash, but it's never seen again. It probably got killed, too. Yeah, you could totally excise him from this film, and it would have no impact. I do have to say, though, the you know, besides that opening scene, which I thought was a little bit of fun, I Dorf does give a good monologue. I had to turn my subtitles on to understand what he was saying. It's totally absurd. It's it's not well written, but you know, talking about rats in Vietnam, I thought that was kind of entertaining. I thought they were setting him up to be like, he, of course, he's no John. He's not going to be the main hero, but he's going to be the sidekick. I, I thought so. That's what they were setting up here. I was disappointed by. His- voice because around the same time as this movie the exorcist 3 which we reviewed a long time ago as a donation series and i didn't realize until we reviewed it that he was in that and he has such that iconic chucky voice that came through in the exorcist 3 comes through in all the chucky films here he's affecting a different type of voice and it takes away what makes brad duraf special i thought he was doing a play on bruce dern he actually has a funny line where he says he's not some fuck up like a bruce dern character i thought that was funny i thought he was just kind of yeah like this misfit you would see in a 70s exploitation movie he's doing his own thing and again i feel like he's doing it without much direction without much scripting without much purpose probably without much time if you had any more time with brad dorf wouldn't you have made him warwick wouldn't you have made him the central villain wouldn't you have made him the star of your movie it just seems crazy for them to stick him in here and him to have no point sucker's death he uncovers nothing other than a couple and i mean vague uh, little funny bits he accomplishes nothing for this movie And yeah, at this point, this is two years after Chucky. He is the biggest star that they're going to have here. Yeah, I am very disappointed because I didn't remember him being in this. I saw his name in the opening credits. I came into this with a bad memory. So when I saw his name in the opening credits, I was a little bit more excited. And then to see what his character does or doesn't do. Jacob, you're talking about that Vietnam monologue. I'm trying to figure it all out. Is it supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to be creeped out by this guy? Am I supposed to see him as a crazy motherfucker who is going to deserve his death? Because a lot of the people in this movie deserve what's coming to them. Yeah, they all do for actually participating in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and maybe the audience deserves it too. Boy, I, I tell you what, that is the memory that I had coming back to this was a strong distaste without remembering any plot, without remembering why, I remember really not liking this movie. And as I was watching it, it all came back to me. Everything here is vile. Everything here feels unsanitary. I literally feel like, you know, a a rash on me when I'm watching (laughs) everyone's dirty. Yeah, Brad Dourif comes in, he's eating while he's holding a bloody dead rat, and (laughs) all these people are sweaty and ugly, and we don't like anybody, nobody's funny, everything is, the hygiene is poor, it just feels like just the grossest movie. I can, I literally had a memory of me and my friend sitting there, crunch, 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 eating the popcorn, and by the time it gets to that part where the bullies have put a dead rat on the hero's sandwich the crunching stopped i mean this movie you won't eat in this movie it feels unsafe but you'll drink a pepsi it no it felt like a bag full of dead rats were in my popcorn like there was no more it it just it unsafe this movie is not scary but it may give you scabies i mean it is just gross I want to give some props because I think this movie does have atmosphere. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. This this grime, (laughs) this everybody is sweaty. You believe it. I was watching this in a very cold home theater and I had a space heater going. By halfway through this movie, I'm turning the space heater off and I'm starting to get like thinking I'm in Louisiana getting some iced tea because it was so sweaty in this movie and major props to the rat wrangler those rats are awesome I haven't seen rats this good since the original Willard yeah, you're talking about the non-puppet rats. Yes, I agree. Yeah, they have those spit takes where people are talking to them and they kind of, you know, give them a look and or pee on the chair or whatever. Yeah, there is something creepy about watching 50 eyes looking down at you from the rafter. I'll give you that. They're squandered, but they are the biggest scare in this movie. But the real villain, at least the villain with the most screen time, is Warwick. 
And I had another memory as I was watching this. I, I didn't think it was going to happen this time. I remembered what the real villain was. But I remember thinking upon my initial watching that I thought Warwick and the big monster were the same thing. That Warwick was morphing into some kind of creature that would come down the stairs and eat his ex-girlfriend or eat this guy at the cotton picker and then turning back into his humanoid self. I was sure that he was some kind of demon for most of this movie the first time. I saw it. Yeah, that would at least, I guess, make a little bit more sense than what we see here. At least we give some kind of answer about this brat, as we're calling it. (laughs) Yes. Well, Warwick does have kind of a rodent-like look with his nose. He's got this, like, goatee going on. If you'd given him a couple of enlarged front teeth, he definitely would fit the part. You could have saved a lot of money on the latex monster. Yeah, and he was always popping up at the wrong place. I mean, they literally fool you. You see a shadow on the staircase, and the person turns around, and you think it's going to be the brat, and no, it's Warwick. So, again, they're almost baiting you to make the comparison that the monster and this guy are the same. It just wouldn't make any sense, because this guy is trying to to fumigate the place. He's trying to get rid of all the rats. So why would he do that if he is a big rat monster himself? So here's my question. Yes, we see him early on. He's with some city inspector, I guess. I don't know how much of a city this is. A state inspector, perhaps. Safety inspector. And they're looking at this basement that's in ruins. I'm so confused because we started off with this room with this big machine. And I'm like, did that cause a fire that gutted this mill? Or is this just an old mill that they've been working in this whole... Again... They got a lot of time to fill here. They don't give us any of the relevant information. I am confused with what's going on in this mill. There's, I guess, just a ruined basement that they want to clean up. Yeah, they have a lot of time. I'm confused about the mill. I don't know why they want to clean up the basement. When they say clean up the basement, I specifically think that they're exterminating. I didn't realize they literally meant housekeeping of old furniture that looks like it was just bought at, like, a Kmart and assembled just to be destroyed. But... I thought the whole point was the rats. Instead of making sense of this, we spend time in the town and get to know the townies. You mentioned Stuart the scene with the dead rat on the plate. Mm, There's several scenes. They were obviously at this diner set for two days shooting because (laughs) there are too many scenes in this diner and starting to set up these relationships between the two mill bullies who don't like new guy John Hall and John starting to have some kind of romance with Jane and it just it is all way too much about characters that are incredibly incredibly repugnant and 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 difficult even to know i one of the frustrating things in watching it this time was i could never catch a name i felt like i just had to end up seeing them as types oh there goes the bald guy there goes the token black guy there goes the token woman oh there's the other woman I, i i i couldn't even get names here so all you really understand is that there's this drifter named john who spent five years incredible hulk bill bixby style doing odd jobs up the east coast and has finally worked his way to maine and for reasons i still don't understand warwick chooses to put him on this cleanup crew as punishment or as a favor i don't know people respond to being put on the crew very differently one woman this jane wants to do it because she wants the double time i think that she could probably be a street walker and have better (laughs) sanitary conditions than this work environment but she's willing to do the work hpv is better than rabies Yeah, well, you know, for what I'm presuming is $8 an hour, double time, at that point, minimum wage was only a couple dollars. Yeah, there's uh, the other woman that that wants to be with Warwick for him, but is mad when she gets put on the cleanup crew and takes an axe to his car. I never understand Nordello? Yes. I I don't even know if that's a name. Yeah, (laughs) I thought it was an ice cream or a kind of Italian coffee. Some kind of extract from a nut. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just keep thinking, you know, you mentioned streetwalkers. I'm thinking bordello every time. <laughs> but it's crazy, right? Like, she finds out she's on the crew, and then she goes out and whacks his car to bits. Everyone else is like, good, I get the double pay. I'm like, certainly you could find someone to take your place if you really don't want to do it. I, <laughs> I don't understand this reaction. I didn't know why he put her on this. Is this his way of breaking up with her? Is it punishment <laughs> because she 
he found doesn't like him sleeping with others. I'm really, really confused. You said she wants to be with him. I'm not even sure if I get that out of it because I thought he just blackmailed everybody into sex. Yeah, it, mm. w- none of this makes sense. At one point, he fires a guy from working down in the basement. Like, that's the luckiest dude ever because he doesn't die, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he died off screen. But, like, yeah, he's so hard up that they got to get this graveyard shift, but he's firing people. And ass- then he's si- assigned. Come on. This Nardello is not qualified to be cleaning up this basement. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I'm i not sure any of them were. At this point, don't you just let it go? I mean, truly, if your textile mill is built on three floors of rotting wood and masses of rats, <laughs> who is going to want their cotton to come from here? I mean, don't put a Made in USA label here. Just put, like, you know, a rat face on it because it would just be <laughs> rat dander that's made out of this stuff. It's just, come on, you let it go. I understand that we're told that this town is its only industry, but I don't know. Almost anything would be better than trying to take the working conditions that they have and making a viable textile mill out of it. It just, it's beyond the pale. It's too far gone. It's very clear that they should just close shop. And indeed, there is a file that says that they're going to do that. Nordello is killed while she's looking over that file here. It, it's, it's difficult to know what the conflict is. We're not really rooting for them to save the mill. So, yeah, when people are laid off or people don't want to do the job, yeah, why not walk out the door? Why not blow this stupid job off? Well, the only thing we're given, the only reason we should root for the mill is because at one point Warwick said the sit, the town needs the mill. It's like the only employer other than, I guess, the restaurant in the town. Guess it's time to move. <laughs> well, <laughs> show's over. <laughs> That's not so easy to do. So... People need their jobs, and so everybody's colluding to keep this horrible, horrible, horrible place open because working at the restaurant or working for the exterminator is even worse. But you mentioned that Nordello gets killed, and yes, very stretched out among here, there are a few deaths. There's the guy who's stringing up lights. I didn't know at first why he was stringing up lights. It's the, the basement looked Pretty well lit. I thought that where John worked was in the basement. And so when they said string up lights down there, I was a bit confused, but there is actually a basement below that. With a secret trap door that goes below that. I mean, can't you look at the mill and see how many floors it is? I mean, how (laughs) deep is this thing? It's turtles all the way down. Yeah, the thing with Nardello, she like uncovers that, oh, it was supposed to be closed down. Doesn't ever come back. She dies. Do you ever see her dead body again? Nope. Another scene they could have just cut and would have no impact on this film. We know this mill sucks. We don't need to see a piece of paper with the safety inspector saying that it should be shut down. But it's not actually advancing the plot, Jacob. It's just this is a horror movie. People want to see deaths. It's there to tease the brat. And give you the body count. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is a slasher movie. The thrill is that every five to ten minutes, someone's going to get it. And and isn't that exciting? And when they don't get it, isn't that exciting as well? We have Carmichael showing up. He wants a job. He takes over for the guy stringing lights. He's wearing a Walkman on his ears and mopping. And we see, you know, that's when we start to see this thing. There's like a claw on a grate. And we see this albino eye open we think oh he's about to get it and then who should come popping up but it's warwick again i'm thinking it's warwick and the monster in collusion here i'm thinking they're one in the same but yeah they're trying to build the suspense as they whittle down the cast to the graveyard shift crew as to who's going to live and who's going to die and how soon are they going to figure out that there's more than rats here at the bachman mill so in this whole time so we have john the protagonist we haven't talked a lot about him because he's really bland like (laughs) Walks out of town, out of nowhere, he's running from something. We don't know. With someone who is capable at writing, yes, they're running from something, and then that thing is revealed, and it gives them strength, and they overcome that fear, or whatever they're running from, like, that has a point. John, I have two things on him. First of all, does he not look like the poor man's Emilio Estevez? In so (laughs) many shots, I thought it was Emilio. And 
As for the character there and the being a drifter, I don't think he's running from something so much as he's a person with no attachments. Jacob, you're missing the big moving character <laughs> arc. Yes. Is that a man who stands for nothing will take a stand for the mill in this town? Oh, I thought you were going to bring up the fact that he's wearing a wedding ring and all the girls or both of the girls are like, ooh, where's your wife? She's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I come from Castle Rock. Want to ride? <laughs> Did she get killed by a cotton mill in another town and he's finally confronting those fears? Like, his defining characteristic is that he slingshots Pepsi cans. Yeah, I, I, you would like to see something about his earlier trauma pay off in good writing or even in mediocre writing. Yes. There would be some justification for why we're learning all of this about his backstory. It would have a payoff, but they're filling time. This is a short story. None of these details were in the short story. This is just a way of making it longer so that you can charge a full ticket price and not have to come up with other stories to stick in an anthology like we've seen so far in this Night Chef collection. This could have been a 20-minute segment in a Creep Show 3, but instead they got to drag it out to a pitiful 83 minutes or whatever it is. I'm going to say that I think this would have made a actually good Tales from the Crypt episode. You know, Stephen King had another short story, Word Processor of the Gods, done for TV and Tales from the Dark Side. This really could have been a good short film. Well, a short film. Better than yeah. this. I'll say, because two-thirds of this movie is over before they finally get to cleaning the basement. And Yeah, I feel like we get a half hour of fire hoses spraying rats. Like, man, talk about filler. It's still better. I still enjoyed any scene with the fire hose more than I enjoyed the dating scenes <laughs> in the diner and the confusing romantic relationships of Warwick. Yeah, admittedly, you cut a half hour, literally chop the half hour at the head of this movie, walk into this movie halfway over, and you miss nothing. The, all you need to know is that there's a cleanup crew going through a mill. Yeah, and you get very quickly in the basement who the two bullies are. You don't need to see them put rats on his plate ahead of time. Yeah, endless scenes of vile behavior here. And again, almost everyone here is repugnant in some way. Either they're unclean or just generally not photogenic or mean. It's just, it's an environment where I really keep asking myself, what do I want to live. What do I want to get out of here? I'm, I may be rooting for the brat at this point <laughs> by the time that they're opening the trap door and, you know, everyone's shocked. Ah, I found where they're coming from. The ground? Well, duh. Did, did we think <laughs> that they were coming from the ceiling? I want to know how the brat was getting out of there, though, because the brat is doing above-ground murders. John removes tons and tons of debris to find a cellar door to go to the sub-sub basement it's about four by four, too. It's not a wide hole. Yeah. I mean, I realize there's some other place that John later climbs up in. The sense of space in this is all off. I honestly, when they're going into the sub-sub basement and there's like leaking water and a river, I got a flashback to a much better movie called The Descent. And I thought they were far, far away from the mill. Maybe under the damn graveyard or something. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, again, asking questions that there are no answers for here. Why is there a sub-sub-basement? Why does it lead to a giant hall? I, I, I get why there's skeletons in it, because the brat's been eating. I don't know where he's got all those bodies from. This is a small town. Perhaps it was a metropolis before he started <laughs> feeding. But why is there this giant hall? Was there some kind of weird cult going on hundreds of years ago that raised this from the pits of hell? I don't know, and this movie ain't gonna tell me. Yeah, but they're clearly still in the mill because we see the water wheel. That's how we know. It's the defining characteristic on the exterior shots of the mill. There's this giant wheel that connects to the river. And most of this river action when they're underground, we can still see that wheel here. So it's just spatially, it doesn't make any sense. It's like going into the TARDIS and all of a sudden there's endless halls or whatever. The, the, this mill isn't very big and yet, obviously, there's a whole catacombs underneath it for them to spend the rest of the movie. And how old is this mill that they have records from a hundred years ago? Never mind the fact that the paper looks brand new, but still, it's just, 
everything is so confusing that I, for my own sanity, had to turn off my brain and stop giving a shit what they were saying and just wait for the brat to cause some carnage. They had whittled it down, <laughs> six people in a basement. Can we kill them yet? No, I have to wait. Can we kill them yet? No, I have to wait. Even the cast is poking holes in this. I mean, they're even asking, what are they hoping to put down here once they clean it up? A nightclub? Good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, what the hell is all of this all about? If all the textile machinery is upstairs, why do they care whether this is clean or not? I don't know. But yes, this is a horror movie. This is a slasher movie. This is a monster movie. What counts is your monster and how he goes about his killing. You mentioned Alien, Jacob. I gotta say, a big source of inspiration for this, from the clanging metal score to the way that it sort of creeps out of the shadows and wraps them up in wings and all that, I really got a sense that they were trying to model themselves specifically after James Cameron's Aliens movie with these kills. The water... Yeah, and some of the kills are cool. I like that one where that guy does get wrapped up in the wings. I think that's my favorite kill. I yeah. can't even recall any of the other ones, but <laughs> yeah. Carmichael sticks his hand through the wall, and then he's that's screaming. Right. Yes. I love that guy. He's just like, what do you see? Um, The same thing you do. <laughs> his hand's in the wall, not his eye, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime you have a guy putting his hand in a wall in a little hole in a horror movie, you know that it's going to come back <laughs> bloody. But I can't even tell what he was reaching for. I was trying Trying to figure that yeah. out. Why was he putting his hand in a hole? Uh, you know, it's what you do when you want to get killed in a slasher movie. <laughs> like, you know, at this point, the, the groups have gone off into, you know, Jane and John are together and the other three. Why does Warwick, you know, I, he grabs some bottles. I'm guessing he's <laughs> planning on using them as Molotov cocktails, which, again, we never see. He throws one. We don't see the outcome of it. But why does he go into blackface? Why does he, like... <laughs> Again, it's like he going into like warrior mode, heart yes. of darkness, like, but. Apocalypse just, now. That's exactly yes. right. He's Martin Sheen. <laughs> he is, he has gone, he's not the Vietnam vet, but he has gone crazy. He is, yeah, having a flashback or something. The trauma of being attacked by the brat has made <laughs> him revert into being a crazy killer, which quite frankly, he was always one mud pie away from anyway. I just feel like they're, you know, let's throw stuff out. Again, filling up time. Hey, this would be cool if they had Molotov cocktails. We don't have the budget to actually use them. Mm. It'd be cool if he was being like the Vietnam soldier. We could have used Dora for that instead of having him pumped out the way he died. But That's what I wondered is if they were trying to go back to that Dura monologue about Vietnam and being crazy and all that. And then having Warwick kind of go that route. I do like that Warwick snaps the way he does. I wish that he'd snapped even more and become like the disciple of the brat and you know <laughs> tried to make offerings to the brat or something like that but no it's now man against man against the brat and the only thing i can say is when the kills finally start and my god i think i might have dozed halfway <laughs> through this movie before we get to them but when the kills finally start the people are picked off pretty quickly, and unfortunately, this was a real bad time where the MPAA didn't allow much through. So, I mean, it's almost a PG-13 film, but... Yeah, the only death that is a surprise for me is the fact that Jane gets it. They really... Yeah. Agreed. ...build up the idea that, you know, they even have lines. They're like, we're gonna make it, I know! I mean, I guess I should have seen it coming, but I just felt like this movie was so cheesy, why would they dare to do anything as dangerous as kill off the love interest? But she gets killed... And she gets killed by Warwick's hand, not by the creature. Don't know why, but I guess it helps further the animosity between Warwick and John, which seems to be the only relationship that they've wanted to develop this entire movie. Which is weird because Warwick stabs Jane and then he goes after the brat. Yeah. Yeah, I can't figure this out. Honestly, I mean, if you want a not-in-movie reason, I have a answer, and I think it's... <laughs> that, that's the only answers for this movie. Yeah, I think it's they couldn't afford too many shots of the brat, or it didn't look good enough to be in many shots, whereas you can have two guys roll around and punch each other, and so that's the kind of action they could afford. But story-wise, none of this makes any goddamn sense. And I was shocked that they killed Jane, but I was equally shocked that we're at the climax of the film and nobody's worried about the brat. 
Yeah. And again, we are calling it a brat because we read the short story, we've seen the movie and all this. But when this credits rolled and I walked out of the movie theater, I turned to my friend and for days we would argue about <laughs> what it even was that was attacking them. I was like, it's a bat. I saw the wings. He's like, no, it's a rat. I saw the tail. We did not understand why it would be a hybrid. I still don't understand why it's a hybrid. I just know what I saw. Yeah, there's no reason for this thing to exist. You you say, oh, this is a slasher film. Jason, they give a reason to exist. Freddy, they give a reason to exist. They have an origin story. This is just a thing that lives under there and attacks people, and we're supposed to be satisfied that it's killing them. Yeah, you would think that they would at least show a rat and a bat getting it on or something. <laughs> Give me some sex in my violence. I would have actually completely taken it if they'd just shown a leak from the textile mill of some kind of chemical going there down there go. to mutate something. I mean, how hard I, is that? It's the 80s. Toxic waste. I mean, <laughs> crap. Something in the graveyard. And you remember the graveyard? You know, yeah. Let's do something at the graveyard. Ooh, even better. It says they were dumping the rats in the river. What if they were dumping the toxic waste from the textile mill into the river, causing the rats and bats to mate and mutate into the brat. One has to worry about any clothing realtor that has radiation as one of its ingredients, <laughs> but hey, I'll go with it. At least it's an explanation. Well, they did use like acids and things and tons of bleaches. I mean, there are cancer causing chemicals in textile mills, so I would go with this. I really would. I wish I could have a DeLorean to go back in time and help the $25 screenwriter rewrite this. Yeah, I, I was, and I was confused about how big the brat is. Like, is it bigger than a person? Sometimes it felt like it was the same size as a person. Sometimes it felt like it was 20 feet tall. I really couldn't get any kind of scale or scope. I, I had no idea, even after the movie's over, he, even here at a second viewing, as to what it really was that they were fighting. It does not come across as big as it should be, given that it can envelop an entire person in its wing. I don't know what kind of attack that is, as usually wings are for flight, not for feeding, but given that it can do this, it should be huge, and yet when they're actually seeing it, yeah, because they're not even really on the same set as it most of the time, you just get shots of it, shots of people, and no real work there. The only effect this whole movie I'm going to give some props to is whoever did the matte painting for the climax because after they kill Warwick and it's Brat versus John and John is down in the sub 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 basement with coffins and boiling water for some reason he has to climb up this steep wall to safety and he's on some set and they have a really nice matte painting that shows i didn't know what was at the top i honestly thought it might be the house from salem's lot but no they're just back in the mill yeah that's where he climbs out yeah but that's not what i necessarily saw at the bottom <laughs> no i thought he was gonna climb out into the graveyard or something it makes it's so weird that they're still in the mill after all that running around you would have thought that with him spending several nights working in that place that there was a giant hole where he could dive down and see yeah a whole subterranean nest of bones but whatever the point is that they have to do what they set up at the beginning which is get that creature into the masher and that was the one thing that i remembered from this movie it made me laugh out loud even at the time when i was not so sophisticated about what product placement was that all of this was building to a Pepsi commercial was <laughs> astounding to me then and now, particularly since I can't imagine why Pepsi would think anyone would want to consume their product after watching all of this vermin. To wash the taste of this movie out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah, but we get this long, long slow-mo shot of him slingshotting a can of Pepsi across the room so that it can hit the button and turn the machine on and we can get the brat chewed up in the teeth. That was everything. That was the whole movie. Pepsi saves the day. <laughs> <laughs> it is more heroic than John. <laughs> And then, I love it, they don't have an ending. That's the ending. That's all they got. So, but they finish it off with a shot of someone hanging a sign that says, under new management. You're kidding me. They are still going to keep this plant open? <laughs> Half the employees have been eaten by a brat? It is rotten? There is running water? I mean, this thing is barely standing, and no one is left to manage, but they're going to just keep it going. Man, man, oh man. <laughs> when will this town let it go? 
Yeah, and it, it's it's got to take time to bring in new people because everyone's died. The only people living in the town now work at the diner. Like, <laughs> th- this town is a ghost town. It's time, Yeah, it's time to move on. No, there were dozens of other textile mill employees <laughs> who had the 4th of July holiday off. Okay, they just didn't have the budget to show those extras. They were around when she was smashing the car. That's about <laughs> it. I didn't get dozens, but okay. A few PAs. Mm. They might have got a boom mic operator in there by mistake and just kept him in as an extra. Uh, so, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Graveyard Shift? Jacob. This is truly, uh, for a film about textiles, I guess it's appropriate that it is threadbare. It There's oh. not enough. <laughs> yes, how many bad puns can we come up with? <laughs> not bad, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> there's just not enough here for a feature-length 90-minute film. Not even enough for an 80-minute or 70-minute. I think old Disney films got away with like 65 minutes. Not enough for 65, I don't think. There's just not enough here. And here's the thing. If you're one of those people that watches Transformers, the Michael Bay Transformers, film like oh no they're exciting they're cool special effects and explosions they're entertaining this is what transformers would be you strip away all that shininess that michael bay puts on there and this is the kind of storytelling that you have (laughs) it's just nothing's there i was not expecting you to take a swipe at michael bay here but go ahead (laughs) i think this this is if you want to understand michael Bay's storytelling watch this film recommended for that because this is what you when you take all everything that's nice and shiny and the tits and the robots and explosions away. I mean, this is what you get a film that just has people doing things to fill up time. I'm going to shoot a slingshot because that's I guess that's a character trait. That's my trait. I shoot a slingshot and I'm fat and that's my character trait and I'm black. And You know, there's just, there's nothing here that there are story threads here that never get answered. They just kind of go away and there's nothing satisfying here. If if this is what a typical slasher film is or I, I don't even think this would be satisfying to someone that's into slasher your films. I, I don't know. I need story. I need answers. I need some kind of coherence to my films. Not recommended. Stuart. I guess that makes us the rats watching from the rafters waiting to chew on the bloody cotton then. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It is an abysmal film. It is just as awful as I remembered, which is so often the case with Stephen King short story adaptations. It is dragged out to feature length to a, a woefully misshapen form. I mean, way too much time is spent on this revolting boss. You have Brad Dourif, horror icon there, and no time is given to him. No explanation is given to this monster or why it's only becoming a problem now why this mill is even operating. All of this remains a litany of rhetorical questions. You can ask them, you'll never get an answer. But worst of all, this is a movie that mistakes being gross for being scary. I really think this is an unpleasant movie to experience. It gives me hives. It makes me feel like a bunch of rats are crawling all over me. I mean, it's the fact that we are not going to cover Graveyard Shift 2 next week, the fact that they did not make a sequel, I think speaks volumes to how unpopular this film is with everyone. I think everyone will strongly not recommend Graveyard Shift. Well, to that, Stuart, all I can say is this movie made money. It was marginally profitable in theaters, and then everything on video and international was gravy. That there wasn't a sequel, a direct-to-video sequel, is truly, truly astounding. But not all of them got it. I mean, Maximum Overdrive didn't, and... We got another one. There's two in that series. We're yeah, it got a remake, but it didn't get a sequel, and there's so far there's no Cujo 2, the puppy... I mean, there are some that don't have the sequels in there, but yes, honestly, my memory coming in, I haven't seen every Stephen King movie adaptation, but I've seen most. My memory coming back is that this is the worst, the absolute worst of all of them. I hope so. Watching it this time, I truthfully stand by that because there's no pleasure in here. It is so arduous with these people doing what they can with a completely thin script and having nothing to do except fill time. It honestly was more boring than a classroom lecture. It truthfully is every bit as bad as I remember it being the first time I watched it. And Jacob, your Michael Bay analogy only serves to remind me this may be the second worst movie I see this year as we're going to have another Transformers <laughs> film to review. Oh, come now. Come on, Optimus on the T-Rex didn't pump you up during the Super Bowl? I know Bay fan, but this is a step beyond baziness. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. <laughs> 
goddamn the Dinobots, why must they make me think every time this Transformers movie might be good? No, no. The Dinobots are not a reason to think it's good. Grimlock disagree, but that's <laughs> another conversation. I don't know what a Dinobot is. But no, strongest strongest of not recommends this thing was theatrically released but it is down there with necropolis and rave to the grave and that level of utter shit don't don't insult those movies no no i think this is on par i mean I, i'm saying don't insult those movies by saying they're as bad as this <laughs> I mean, at least you're right, Jacob. Those movies at least had titty shots. How this movie had no titty shots? I don't know if I wanted to see titty shots with the, Would you, exactly. with the women in who's, this film. Whose titties were you ogling? I mean, the rat titties? <laughs> that was that would have been the hottest. I, I kind of would have gone for Jane's. I thought there was a moment there. I don't know if you would have been able to see him uh, with that jawline covering the rest of her body up. <laughs> <sighs> well, this brings our... Night Shift one-offs to a close. Graveyard Shift kind of got put in here with the short story anthologies because it was the unfortunate one of not having a sequel. Fortunate for us, unfortunate for mm. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased to never discuss this again. But we are going to just continue our Night Shift movies because we're going to next do a trilogy based off a short story, The Mangler. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into the territory where I never dared to go. I, Other than Maximum Overdrive and Lawnmower Man, I haven't seen anything that's to come. And I just suspect that we're, we haven't hit bottom yet. That's what's so awful. As strong as my recommend is, I think that this is still going to be one of the better Night Shift movies. That's actually my fear as I look at next week and the killer washing machine, The Mangler. Well, we'll find out. And in the meantime, don't forget my reviews over at booksandnachos.com where I'm reviewing the short stories on which these are based. If you want to know more about Graveyard Shift, what was King's original vision in 1970, you can hear all of that this week at booksandnachos.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until the mangler, I'll see you on the night shift. Show's over. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. It's more fun than human beings should be allowed to have a what? Come to the Now Playing Podcast website to hear our reviews of other Stephen King films, such as Carrie, The Shining, and Salem's Lot. Hey, boys, come on over here. And keep coming back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new review in our Stephen King retrospective series. We have a great deal to talk about, Mr. Billings. Come back tomorrow and we'll talk some more. At our sister podcast, BooksAndNachos.com, you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original books and short stories on which these films are based. College Boy. Also in the archives, you can hear reviews of other films, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Star Trek, The Avengers, Halloween, Terminator, and more. Hear hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. How could this thing go on all these years? <laughs> How does somebody know about it? Unless that God they worship approves. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Go on, Dickie, before you lose your guts. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I watched your work, and I like your style. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. We've got a hell of a problem, but we here developed a hell of a solution. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Do you want another one? Yes. Please. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Good morning, boys and girls. 
Did we all remember to bring our homework assignments today? A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. We didn't? Well, we know what happens to little boys and girls who don't do their homework. Now playing Stephen King retrospective series is edited by Dylan and Arnie. Gonna be a mess, no doubt about it. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Bravo! Now we can get you that audition on Star Search! The film discussed in this podcast is the property of the original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. You think it's gonna make a difference? No, but it may make the judge happy. Now Playing Podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. Take it from me. There's only one way to deal with their kind. On their own terms. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. When you've been in the business as long as I have, you get to know every line. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I think I'll sleep now, Johnny. You'll do that. And horror, I can't. How would, how would my mother say horror? Ha. ha yeah. Ha. And ha, ha icons. I don't know if our younger voters know. Uh, younger voters. <laughs> Stewart for president. I'm not going on this ticket. <laughs> Hardly a platform for any kind of success. Other than maximum overdrive and low... Um, oh, you want to say speak. overdrive again? Because yeah, it's kind of like odor drive. <laughs> I've been drinking while I'm doing this podcast. Um, I should have been drinking when I was watching this movie. Yeah. Um...